Okay, I think that's uh, got everybody. Would you please take your copy of the Word of God? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11 this morning. The little Baptist boy went to visit his friend's church, the Catholic church. And as he sat there, he watched all this ritual and all these things going on. He kept asking the little Catholic boy, what does that mean? What does that mean? He said, well, that's God bringing his word to, to his people. And this is this and this. It just went on and on. And he said it came time for the little uh, Catholic boy to visit the Baptist church. And he said the pastor started like this. And the Catholic boy reached over and said, well, what, what's that mean? And the guy says, absolutely nothing. <laughs> Uh, right now, that clock back there says it's 8 o'clock because the battery went bad on it. I put a new one in. It doesn't set. I have my phone set so Siri can't talk to me during the service. Uh, so I'm not going to know exactly uh, what time it is. So just be gracious, all right? I'll try to, I'll try to keep track, all right? I know you want to get home and eat, eat beans. So here we go. Huh? At least by one. At least by one. Thank you, brother. Yeah, yeah. I guess they're all for it. Okay, here we go. I want to talk to you about prayer this morning because that's what Jesus has in his sermon for us. Prayer in the Bible is always presented in a very positive light as a positive thing. And when you read the Bible, it makes it seem like you have, all you have to do is ask God for anything and he'll give it to you. Some, anything you want, he'll give it to you. Just ask him. And the passage before us today is often taken like that by many Christians. But then you ask and you don't receive. Then you seek God on an issue, and it feels like God isn't there, and you can't find him. Or sometimes you feel like, I kept knocking and kept knocking on the door, and God doesn't answer. So we have this reality that there seems to be a disconnect between what the scripture promises and what's actually happening in my prayer life. What's going on with this whole issue anyway? Prayer often seems much more negative to us as an issue than what the Bible presents it uh, as being. What gets our attention even more is that God commands us to pray. It is important to him. Oftentimes it's more important to him than it is to us. And he says it's important. Sometimes we say we're, we're frustrated with it. We don't know what to do with it. Uh, we know that uh, we are going to ask for different things. Uh, before a single syllable is on our tongue, the Bible says he knew it from afar. What that means is that uh, a great distance in time before you even spoke something, God knew what you were going to say. Now, that's an intimate acquaintance with us. But still, he wants us to pray. I have literally prayed for years and years in this particular situation uh, for a, a person to come to Christ, and finally it happened. And I was, I was joyful that, for that. I was also reminded of times that I've literally prayed for years and years for something else that God would give me for that I'm asking, and God said no. And he's never said yes. I have also literally prayed uh, for certain things that he seems to have never attended to to this day. What does Jesus want us to do where prayer is concerned? And that's the issue today. And that's what he talks about. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, the text of the scripture says this. Now he was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. 
And he gives a parable of, a, of an unjust judge and a woman that just kept bothering him and bothering him and said, hey, you need to answer my, my request. And finally, to just get rid of her, he, he gave her what she wanted. And he says, God's not like that. Your heavenly father doesn't act like that. We must admit, we have often lost heart in praying. We have the need. What we lack is the knowledge about our prayer life. Today, Jesus is going to help us with that. As we look at the text in Matthew 7, still in the sermon that Jesus has been preaching, I just want to remind you, we're going to look at it here for a minute in a while, but in chapter 6, he gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer. It really is the Apostles' Prayer, because he taught them how to pray. Here he is talking about it again in verse 7 of chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Now, that sounds like a pretty firm promise to me. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks him for a loaf, will he give him a rock? Or if he asks for a fish, will he, not give, will he give him a snake? He won't give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, he's talking about our sin nature, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? The key to our text this morning is in that verse. Twice he uses the word good. God gives what is good. I could say right now, God does not give what is bad. And we really need to get a hold of that. And so God gives good to those who ask him. Let's go back and look at verses 7, 8, and 8 together because they're talking about those three issues of prayer, asking, seeking, and knocking. In verses 7 and 8, we find that we are commanded by God uh, to pray because what we ask for, God will give us. And that's where we get hung up. But God, I've asked before and I didn't get it. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. How can Jesus say that? Well, he said it pretty plainly, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. Now, there are three issues that are brought up here, and that is in prayer. They have to do with asking God for something, seeking God for something. I wonder what you think about that. What does it mean to seek God and how do you do that? What's involved in seeking God? And then knocking. We think of knocking as knocking on a door, you know. I have to have something to knock on. What am I knocking on? Am, am I knocking on the door to the throne of God? Am I trying to get into the throne room, is, is area where he is worshipped? What am I doing? Well, uh, I don't know if you like English or not, but uh, they are, are all presented as present active imperatives. An imperative is a command. Present tense means in the now, but in the Greek sense, it's active, and that's going to make a difference for us in each case. In other words, it's the present active imperative, ask. I'm commanded to ask. Seek, I'm commanded to seek. And knock, I'm commanded to knock. And the idea the author has for us is in the present tense, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on, if you will, knocking, all right? So it's not something I do once and I walk away. I keep doing these things. I don't give up asking God for things. I don't give up seeking him on things. And I certainly don't give up knocking on things. And I want you to understand something about prayer. These issues are not legalistic issues uh, that I have to do, uh, but constancy 
and making it a habit to keep on asking, seeking, and knocking is what God's telling me to do. But it's not a legalistic thing that I have to do those things and I do it just so I can get what I want. And if I don't do it enough, God isn't going to give me what, what I want. No, that's not true. That's not what it's saying. So the results of these activities that we're going to participate in are given in a different form. And that is they're given in a future passive uh, indicative form. So what we see in here is this. The Lord says, ask. He's commanding you, keep on asking. And it will, that's the future tense, be given to you. And that's a passive. It's the, the person that is asking is going to have something acted upon them by God. The passive tense says that somebody is going to do the action to you. So I do the asking and God does the answering. I do the seeking and God lets himself be found. I do the knocking and God is the one that opens the door for me. So I obey the command and then God does his part. Thus, if you obey these commands, God will act and do for you what you ask. Now, there's caveats to everything. If I'm a person that's living in sin and I'm not doing what God wants me to do, I've, I've just closed my eyes and my ears to the word of God and I do whatever I want and I only see God when it's time for me to, you know, uh, do something because I'm in trouble. And so I go back and say, hey, God, I've missed a couple years with the church. I don't read my Bible and I don't pray and I don't obey you, but I hope you remember me. Hey, I need you to do something for me. What kind of a father would God be if he uh, just ignored all that other stuff and didn't try to work on that first before he dealt with you? Why should God be any different? I think the big problem with the Western mindset and prayer is that we hear this and we instantly think of these kinds of things. All right, I want something. I need to ask God. I need to seek him for it, and I need to keep knocking. And we might be thinking of that new car that we want, or maybe it's time for a new combine, or maybe a new boat, or a new job. Maybe God would let me win the lottery. Uh, I'm asking maybe to be promoted in my particular business or uh, getting recognition for something that I haven't gotten or getting rain on my crops or having a big harvest this year. Grain prices going up. I'm going to ask him about that, uh, that my business would thrive, uh, that someone would like me who doesn't like me or someone would apologize to me that hurt me or uh, to get me on a great vacation. And that's normally what we as Westerners are talking about. You know why I think we ask that? I think it's because we're really not under a lot of persecution yet, but it's coming. And so we live a pretty nice life. We don't have to worry about a lot of things. Uh, we don't go out and like they did in Africa where we were and steal manioc from the neighbor and eat it because they're starving to death because they don't have any of their own and they eat it too soon. So the cyanide poisoning in the manioc hasn't had a chance to go out. So people are running around with these big goiters on their neck. That's not our problem. Our problem is, you know, my car has so many miles, I need a new one. God, give me a new one. And the question is, why are you asking God for a new car? What, what's that about? Won't it be great when God does that for me, we think? Or does God give good gifts, but uh, that is not the majority of what we are asking for? And that's the issue here. Then I pray, and I persist in prayer, and I do it from my heart, and I don't get anything on my list that I've asked for. And so sometimes people say, well, God just obviously either can't do it because he's not powerful enough, or God doesn't love me, apparently. Everybody else gets what they want. I don't get anything. Now we've actually come to the text, all right? I haven't been there yet too much. In verse 7a, God has asked us, no, no, he's commanded us, to ask him for things in prayer. 
It's a command. Why? Why would he do that? It is so that he can watch us be miserable, right? Uh, when we get nothing. Is that why we uh, ask and why he wants us to? Does he not want to give us anything? Does he not want to give us what we ask? And this text would seem to indicate that's not true. He does want to give us what we ask for. The issue is going to be, what am I asking for? At least we learn that we will not receive anything if we don't ask. You know, you're always going to not get what you don't ask for. Uh, you have to ask for something if you want to get it. So the second part of the verse says, we are to seek. And he says, we will find. What are we seeking for? And what are we supposed to find? I think Jeremiah speaks to this in 29.13, if you want to look at that with me. Jeremiah Uh, what did I say? 29.13. Here's what it says. This is important for, for our prayer. God says to the people of Israel, In that day you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You know what the opposite of that is? God says to sinful people, you can look, but you're not going to find me. I've hidden myself from you. Because the way you're living your life, you don't really care about me. Why should I answer you? But God also, for those people that are striving for a relationship with him, says, seek me and you will find me. I'm not going to hide from you. I'm going to be where you can find me. And that's a promise. Sometimes we seek help from God. And we would like to experience that help. We always would like to experience that help. And so we seek him. Why do we seek God? Because he's the only one that has the power to do what we want. There is no one else to pray to that can do anything for us. Certainly not the way God can do for us. So Jesus goes on. He says, we are to knock and it will be open to us. So sometimes you come up against a closed door in an issue. And so you knock on it. You hope it opens up so you can go and do something. And God says, with me, if you knock on my door, I'm going to open it up. And then we're going to check and see if you need something. And when we're knocking, we are checking to see if someone is home because we need to have some interaction with them or we want something from them. God says, let me know you're there and I'll open the door and we'll, we'll do the business we need to do. Maybe we've been knocking on that door of the corporate office for a promotion and we just keep knocking. We don't give up. Well, if you don't give up in the secular world, why would you give up in the area of spirituality? But we must be, uh, we must I'm sorry, but what must God be thinking about us when he's commanding us to do this? What does God really mean? Verse 8 is going to help us a little bit. Verse 8 said in our text, For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. That's a promise from God. If you're not experiencing that, we have to ask, where's the problem? Is the problem with me or is the problem with God? And I want you to know that most all the time, <laughs> the answer is going to always be to that question, I should say, the problem's with us. It's never with God. The promise here is reiterated in terms of the results of the prayer of asking, seeking, and knocking for God to open a door. He said, everyone who asks receives what he asks for. Has that been true in your life? Has it been true in mine? No. Everyone who seeks finds. Okay. Everyone who knocks, it will be open for him or her. This word means that something is made readily accessible to you. There is no longer a barrier then between you and what you've asked for. 
These are great promises because when we are in the midst of great trials and turmoil, we are often tempted to think that God is not there because he's not giving me what I asked for. Does he care? Really? Or is he just incapable of helping me? Many people choose that answer. Otherwise, we think we would have what we are knocking and seeking and asking for, but we don't have it. I want you to listen to uh, what Dr. David Turner has to say. It's going to give us a mindset for where we're going. He makes this statement, and it was in this passage in his commentary that he made this statement, so it goes together. But he says to us this, God is not ignorant. Okay, God isn't stupid. God is not impotent. God is not powerless. God is not malevolent. He is not evil. So he says God is not ignorant. God is not impotent. God is not malevolent. These truths must be learned and relearned daily in the crucible of Christian experience. And that includes the experience of praying for things. So in verses 9 through 11, when, when uh, I checked my watch there, so I got lost. When asked, God the Father always gives good gifts to his children. The key word there is good. Have you ever thought that maybe after a prayer you said, <laughs> I asked for something from God that's really not good. Might be bad. Why'd I do that? Should you expect God's going to give you, if you ask something for, uh, for something bad, he's going to give it to you? No, I don't think so. That's not what this says. So in verse 9, if a man has a dependent child under his care, and that child is hungry, and he asks him for a loaf of bread, dad doesn't go out and find a big stone for fun and say, here, try to eat that, kid. Let's, let's just chow down. That's all you get. No, we don't do that. So first, let's look at what the child asks for. He asks for food. Why? Well, because he's hungry. It is a need that he needs fulfilled for the sake of his life. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew as he was teaching? He said, uh, uh, you don't worry about food and clothing and shelter. God knows you need it. He'll provide it. But here's what I do want you to be concerned about. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But second, for the little boy's request or the little girl's request of her father, it is a reasonable request from the child. Fathers generally want to supply food for their children unless he's sick or a sicko. They want to supply food for their children, and they hurt deeply inside if they don't have food. What is it like to live in a land where you don't have enough food for your children? Their little bellies are distended, and they can't hardly survive anymore. You see these moms and dads carrying them around. You know what they're thinking. They're thinking, I can't even provide food for my child. My child's going to die if I don't die first. And boy, I really need food. And what, a, what an issue that would be. In verse 10, if a dad has a child who asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? Rhetorical question. The answer is no. No, he won't. He will give his child a harmless fish to eat. He will not give his child a snake. Even an unbelieving dad wouldn't do that. And Jesus knows it. So in verse 11, he says, If you, evil, wicked people, and if there's believers in the crowd, people who have been saved from their sins, but they still have evil in them and dwelling in their flesh, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
And that's what he's just been talking about. How much more will your Father in heaven, who is not evil, not malevolent, he's not uncaring, he's not unconcerned, you are not valueless to him, how much more will he give to those who ask him? So Jesus makes his point about the Father answering prayer and giving us good gifts. If a man who is evil is capable of giving his child good gifts uh, for that child's own good, then, uh, then the, the point is, what in the world do you think the Heavenly Father will do for you? What will the Heavenly Father give if he is asked? Jesus wants us to discern the difference between a father who's capable of evil giving good things to his children and a father who's not capable of evil giving things to his children who ask him, his, the, the saved, the believers. If an evil man can give good, how much more will a father in heaven who is good, is righteous, is sinless, give good gifts to those who ask him? See, the point I'm trying to make is God knows more about what's good for you and me than we do. Let that soak in, all right? Let it just soak into every pore. Sometimes we ask for things. We think, this is a good, God. Why don't you give it to me? And because God knows the beginning from the end, he knows your future, he knows what he has planned for you, he says, that isn't good for you. But it is good. No, it's not. And then I get mad at God because I didn't get what I thought was good. That's not the issue. We don't know what is good. The Father does know what is good all the time. The answer is infinitely and perfectly more God will give what is good. There is no evil in the Father. So how does that work? Uh, what does Jesus mean to be teaching us? I thought this uh, quote from uh, Dr. Blomberg was good here. Listen carefully. Often our prayers are not answered as originally desired because we do not share God's perspective in knowing what is ultimately good and a good gift for us. You hear that? Oftentimes what we desire is really not what is good for us. Have you ever had that happen to you? Think, boy, Lord, it would really help me to have an extra $3,000 in the bank when I uh, show up today, and it's not there. God knows better than we do. We need to get to know his perspective on knowing what is ultimately a good gift for us. We are especially tempted to think of the values of this world. And Dr. Blomberg says, you mean like, like health and wealth stuff. Rather than spiritual values, not surprisingly, the parallel passage in Luke uses a, a figure of speech called synecdoche, which means the exchange of one idea for another. Uh, Luke uses synecdoche to replace good gifts in our text with the words the Holy Spirit in his text in, in 11.13 of his book. The preeminent example of a good and perfect gift coming down from above. What kind of a good gift can God give? Well, he gives us the Holy Spirit. I don't think there's anything better than that. Not that we can think of. So let us also contextualize this teaching about prayer. We are in a sermon that Jesus was preaching about the kingdom of God. Did you forget that? This whole sermon is about the kingdom of God. Within this sermon, he's telling us how to pray. About what? The kingdom of God. How many times a day do you think about the kingdom of God? We need to get our heads and our hearts in the game. Kingdom standards are high. The commands are not easy to keep, not always. 
but we're God's children, so we strive to keep his word. Jesus is telling us how to get help from God that we need, listen, to be able to obey him in the things Jesus is telling us to do and to be. What is Jesus concerned about on this earth? Well, besides you. He's concerned about his kingdom. That's what he's concerned about. Are you as concerned about his kingdom and kingdom things happening and the kingdom being advanced as Jesus is? Why would we pray for anything else? He said, I'll take care of your food and your clothing. Don't worry about it. I know you need that. Why would we be concerned about anything else? And what he's saying is that I will give you whatever you need to do the work of the kingdom, the work of your father, just like I did when I was on earth. You need something for your ministry? Ask for it. Keep seeking me for it. Remember that we as God's children are seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. What is it that I want the most? I want his kingdom and his righteousness. What am I here for? I'm I'm here not to climb a corporate ladder. I'm here to serve Jesus. And that's why you're here. I don't mean here in church. I mean here alive, a child of God. If we ask for those good things, there will never be a time when we don't get those good things. It may not happen right away, but it will happen. That's what the promise is all about. That's that Matthew 6.33 passage that I alluded to uh, just a little bit earlier. Where Jesus says, don't worry, in verse 31 of 6, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? Jesus says for the Gentiles, the pagans, the ungodly, those who don't know Christ, eagerly seek all those things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Don't worry about it. Instead, he says, but instead of that, contrast, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So what is Jesus saying? What I want you to be concerned about, what I want you to be asking about is your work in the kingdom, your success in the kingdom. What do you need to do the job that I sent you to do on earth? Jesus has taught us to pray in chapter 6, verse 10. Father, your will be done. Did you notice that in that prayer, right dab smack in the middle of it, the prayer is the first thing out of our mouth after we talk about the holiness of God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He taught his disciples to pray for that which is important in life, the kingdom of God. And that's what he's talking about here. Someone said prayer changes when we are committed to God's purposes and submit to them. And you don't have to be a super Christian then to have God answer your prayers. He cares about your Sunday school class you're teaching. He cares about those Awana kids that you're teaching. He cares about your Bible study. He cares about your attitude and your actions in public when people are watching you to see what God is all about. James encourages us in chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man of like nature of ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, 
not because he was tired of rain on his crops, but he wanted people to come to God and get on their knees. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Now that's a prayer, right? Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Why? Because God was trying to reach his people. He knew that, and that's what he prayed for, and God gave it to him. Someone mentioned that we should ask ourselves what we think that the holy saints of God and his prophets' prayers were like. What were they asking for? Can you imagine, can you imagine Jeremiah on his knees? Hezekiah, a godly king, on his knees. Can you imagine Joel on his knees? What are they praying for? We have their prayers in the Bible, lots of them. They're always praying about the kingdom. They're always praying about the honor and glory of God. They're always praying for people to turn back to God. So would that help us know how to pray? James also had something else to say that's rather pointed. He said in chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Do you pray every day for wisdom from God? He'll give it to you to use it for him. He says, but he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James says, all this has to be done by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What if our prayers were mostly consumed with the glorification of God, with his kingdom? What if our prayers revolved more around our ministry and accomplishing things for the kingdom? Do you think we would each see more prayers answered? Let me, let me answer that. Yes, this is how prayers get answered. It is how we can find God. It is how we can gain access for ministry behind gates and doors that seem to be locked to us. I want to leave you these things. I want to challenge you to look back on those things that you asked for in your life that were about ministry, about God's purpose, like praying for somebody to come to know Christ, praying for an opportunity to share Jesus with them. Look back on those things that you asked for your ministry and take account of how God answered those prayers and opened those doors. You will find them. Secondly, when things we ask for are the will of God, there is no power on earth stopping God from making it happen. I have illustrations of that in my own life. You do too, I, I believe. Thirdly, your Father in heaven only gives good gifts. Stop asking for bad things. <laughs> Let God decide what's good. So your Father in heaven only gives good gifts, and that means that if we don't get what we wanted, we thank God. Because who knows the trouble we'd be in if we got something that we wanted that wasn't good. God does, and that's why he stops us from that. I want to prepare now to take communion with you. I think I'll use the uh, Luke 22 passage this morning for that. I think we used Matthew last time. I would like to remind you that there's a trash can outside the door when you're done. Uh, if you would carry your cup there and throw it away. We're just trying to 
cut down on passing germs here, and that's what that's for. But if you don't, we'll get it. But if you want to follow with me in uh, chapter 22 of Luke, verse 14. Why do we do this? It's because Jesus told us to. What are we doing? We're remembering what he did for us. What else are we doing? We're looking forward to what we're going to have with him in the marriage supper of the Lamb in the kingdom of God. And he said, do this until that day. So he took the Lord's Supper, which used to be the Passover, and made it the Lord's Supper. And he did that when he told his apostles this. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. It was just the normal way they would sit at a table. And he said to them, and that's where the normal stuff stops and everything's going to change here. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you that I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you, this do, in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. That's the first time somebody's thrown Jeremiah 31 into the Passover. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with with mine on the table. The Son of Man was going to go to his death. Not everybody has a part. Some people deny Jesus, reject Jesus, don't love Jesus. You're not like that. You trusted Jesus as your Savior. You love him. You care about him. And you're surrounded by other people that do. And that's the benefit and the glory of taking this meal together. One day we'll do it with all the saints at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll all be there. We're going to do this now to think about what he did for us, how he saved us from our wretchedness and our sins and gave us hope and new life through the power of his death, burial, and resurrection on that cross. We're all going to partake together, but first uh, Becky's going to play for us, give us a time to talk to the Lord and pray to him, thank him. If you have a sin that you want to take before him, get rid of it before you take this. Get right with him. Do that, whatever the Lord leads you to do while she plays. Let's pray.
Steve, would you lead us in prayer for the bread, please? prepare to take the bread together. Jesus said this represented his body. If you eat this, what are you saying? You're saying you're a member of his family. Let's do that together. Becky's going to play again, give us another chance to pray before the Lord. And think about the blood of the covenant. Randy, you want to ask a blessing on the cup, please? Let's prepare to take the cup together. I want to remind you that this cup does not have anything to do with your salvation, but it represents the blood that does. But by partaking, you're saying, I'm a member of the covenant of Jesus Christ. Let's do this together. 